Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Psalm 119. We're kind of heading back towards the Psalms. We took a a five-week hiatus. We looked at the Bible, an overview of the Bible in five weeks. And so we're coming back to the Psalms. We're going to do this for another month and a half or so. But I mentioned a couple of these things. I want to, just by way of review, uh, we buy Hallmark cards sometimes, don't we? It, Valentine's Day, anniversaries, birthdays, things like that, Mother's Day. Why do we do that? Why do we buy Hallmark cards? Care enough to send the very best. Boy, oh boy. What's your, you're, you're in marketing, aren't you? No, you're sales, right? About the same thing, right? <laughs> uh, we buy these cards because we're trying to find something that expresses our emotion, our affection, our terms of endearment, right, that we can't come up with on our own. And the Psalms kind of do that for us. Uh, Jeff Krantz, he says, the Psalms are inspired by God, but they feel incredibly human. They really do, don't they, as you read through the Psalms. And my wife, it's her favorite book. She, she, she knows a lot of the Scripture, and much of that is the Psalms. She can quote a lot of the Psalms by heart. And Psalm 119 is the longest Psalm, so it's the perfect day, right, to choose uh, Psalm 119 because we have a skit, we have a lot of music, and we have the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to take the, the largest, the longest chapter in the Bible, and we're going to do that in about 20 minutes, Okay. Um, we'll come back to this great psalm again and, and dive into it more in depth. But today, we're going to uh, kind of take broad strokes and come up with something, I think, that um, we can leave here with and put in our pocket. But it's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. I know we have several that are sick. Miss Brenda, it's good to see you. Miss Lou, good to have y'all. Um, we um, be in prayer for we have a lot of folks um, that, are, that are sick. So our older folks are, are home today, so want to lift them up in prayer, give them a call this week maybe. Um, but this psalm directs our attention to the, to the Word of God and to His law, to His inspired Word. And it's interesting, all, of, all but seven of the 176 verses actually contain a specific synonym for the Word of God. So it's very direct, it's very pointed. It's an acrostic, this psalm is. Each stanza is made up of eight verses, and each stanza starts each verse with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So the first stanza has eight verses, and every verse begins with the, the same letter, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so the second stanza, all eight verses, start with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. C.S. Lewis, he said about this psalm, he says, it, it is not and does not pretend to be a sudden outpouring of the heart like many of the other psalms, right? But it is a pattern, a thing done like embroidery, stitch by stitch through long, quiet hours for love of the subject and for, the, and for delight in leisurely, disciplined craftsmanship. And there's a couple sister psalms to it. Psalm 1 and Psalm 19 are sister psalms. Psalm 1, you remember, the first, um, that was the first psalm we looked at. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in what? The law of the Lord. 
And on his law, he meditates day and night. The righteous, they have an inclination for the things of God and for the word of God. In Psalm 119, Brother Adam uh, taught through that psalm, and we see in that psalm that God has revealed himself in his word. We won't do this psalm justice today, but we'll learn a few things. The first thing we'll learn, I think, is that the word of God is our authority. Look at the first two verses of this of this psalm. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. The man is blessed if he is blameless, right? if he walks in the law of the Lord. Those who obey the law will be blessed. And you see this parallelism. Remember, we, we said when we study the Psalms, we, we want to Take note of the parallelism. That's where one statement or phrase or sentence is repeated. And it's saying the same thing and repeated in a different way. The one who obeys is the one who is blessed. It's a beatitude, much like Psalm 1.1. And the law has synonyms throughout this psalm. Here's some of the synonyms you'll see as you read through this psalm. And that's going to be your homework this week is to read through this psalm a few times. But a synonym for the law is word, statute, commandment. Law, testimony, promise, precept, and rules. A lot of synonyms that are all referring to the same thing. These all refer to the objective, revealed Word of God. Now, for us, it would be the Bible, right? The Bible that you're looking at, the Black Pew Bible that's sitting in front of you, that is what we're referring to. But in redemptive history, at this point in redemptive history, when this psalm was penned, Inspired by the Holy Spirit, this psalmist wrote this psalm. It would include the Ten Commandments, the law, any words the prophets that had spoken and had been written down on the scrolls. And these aren't suggestions. These aren't hints. They're not a blogger's suggestion for a better life. Now, what the Scriptures say, God says. Okay? They have authority. Look at verse 3 and 4. Who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. Those who do no wrong are the ones who walk in his ways. So to not walk in his ways is to do wrong, right? It's to rebel, it's to sin, it's to disobey. Well, how do we know that this, and as you read through this psalm, as I'm going to encourage you to do this week, and and just to kind of take a a, a time out, whenever I finish a, a book of the Bible, I'm studying systematically through a book, and sometimes I just need to take a break and do something different just in my own devotional time. What I'll do is I'll read, one of the things I'll do is I'll read through the Proverbs. Just read through the Proverbs. Just read through them. You know, just spend 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever time I have, an hour, reading through the Proverbs. And then what I'll do is if the Word of God is getting dry or the Word of God is just getting mundane and my time, my study time is just, is just ritualistic, dry, dusty, I'll just read through Psalm 119, read through it several times. Spend a week just reading through Psalm 119, and it's very helpful. I think it'll be helpful for you. Again, your homework, one of our applications today is going to be to read through this psalm. But I think um, if I ask you, it's the word of God authoritative. Is it our authority? I think you would say yes. And if you ask me, well, how do you know that this word of God is true and it's authoritative? Well, first I would say, because my mom and daddy taught me that it was. 
It's kind of common sense. And some of you can't say that. I understand that. But for my mom and dad, they taught me, yeah, the Word of God is our authority. The Word of God is true. The Word of God is what we submit ourselves to. We place ourselves under its authority. So, well, but some of our mom and daddies, sometimes they're not always right. And that's true as well. So you say, well, how else do you know that the Word of God is authoritative? Well, I would just go back to experience. You think, well, we don't base a lot of things in life on experience. That's not very smart. But, but I think we do. I mean, we read this, when we sing this, one of the hymns we sing is, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives where? Within my heart. And what's that all about? What are we saying there? We're saying, well, I know the Holy Spirit of Christ that lives in me confirms that it's true. How do you, Jim, how do you know it's true? And Jim will say, I just know it's true, right? Yeah. And that's what has happened in our lives too, I think. One day we read the Bible, Brian, and it's just a book, and you're trying to make sense of it. It has a lot of funny names and a lot of funny places. And some of the stuff's real clear, and some of the stuff's not. It's just a book. But then the next day, Chris, what happens after the Spirit of God regenerates our heart, what happens? The Word of God is life-giving power. It's like salve on a wound. It's like a, a cold glass of water when you're thirsty. It's awesome. And you love it. And you want to read it. And you want to obey it. That's how I know that it's authoritative. Have you had that experience? Look at verse 67. We're going to be all over the place. 176 verses. We're just going to be all over the place. So verse 67, real quickly with me. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Before the psalmist was afflicted, he was ignorant. He didn't know that this word was precious. He didn't understand how wonderful Jesus how wonderful God is, how wonderful the Holy Spirit is, how wonderful Jesus is, right? Well, what happened? There was difficulty that came in his life. Difficulty for me came in the fall of 1990. If I realized that I was lost, and if I died, I was going to go to hell. He brought affliction upon my life. I realized there's got to be more life than what I have. And I had everything a 17-year-old kid could ever want. Affliction was brought upon my life. And I eventually yielded to the Lord. I was afflicted. When I, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. So that's what has happened to, to many of us here if you're a believer. The word of God is just a book. It's just, yeah, we read it and we, we go to church and we hear it taught. And, and we read it sometimes. But it, it just... Yeah, it's, it's, I know it's important because everyone says it's important. But then there's something happens. God brings about uncertainty in our life. God brings about difficulty in life. And what do we do? We cry out to the Lord in repentance and faith. He re- regenerates our heart. And so we're repentant. We're faithing God, trusting God. And all of a sudden, the Word of God becomes more than just a book. It becomes our life. And when we have time, we just want to 
it alone and read it. When we have difficulty, we want to go to it because we know God's going to give us answers to our life's problems. The commands of God in His Word are the will of God, and they should be obeyed. They must be obeyed. And if we read the Bible just for knowledge's sake, and I know for, for us in our beaver kids, for the longest time we've been doing um, just Bible drill, just Bible knowledge things, right? In our, in our student small group, middle school and high school, we've been doing Bible drill, going through the Old Testament chronologically and learning you know, who the judges are, learning the, the plagues, learning the, what God made on each day, right? Learning the Ten Commandments in order, just learn all this stuff. But we don't learn or study the Bible just for knowledge's sake, because if we do that, then it becomes just it leads to spiritual pride and self righteousness, right? And we all struggle with that. Stephen Cole, he tells of a pastor who asked his congregation, What do you do with the commandments in Scripture? And an elderly lady raised her hand and said, I underline them in blue. Right? Well, God's word wasn't given uh, to us so we can fill our notebooks. But it's given to us to correct our sin. It is our authority, and we must obey it. The Word of God is our authority. Are we obeying it? Are we submitting ourselves to it? Can we say it has the final say in every area of our life? It's our authority, but secondly, the Word of God is our guide. We have to make decisions every day. How many decisions do you make a day? Hunter, do you know? Yes. A bunch. Come on, guy. Come on. And I don't know the answer. I mean, who knows that? That's a crazy question I ask, right? But I read this. Some sources suggest that an average person makes 35,000 choices per day. You know, how do you come up with that? Well, I don't know. That's just what they said, all right? Just go along with me for a second, please. Humor me, if you will. But assuming that most people spend around six, seven hours sleeping, some of you that may be more, that makes roughly 2,000 decisions per hour or one decision every two seconds. Making decisions about everything, right? Right now you're, you're deciding whether you're going to listen to me or not. Some of you deciding whether you're going to fight sleep or not. I'm not going to call you out, right? You might have had a rough night of sleep like I did. I didn't sleep very well. Look at verse 24. We're all over the place, but we're going to stay primarily right here in Psalm 119. Verse 24. The word is our God. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my what? Counselors. Yeah. You have married problems? Who do you consult? Who do you ask? You talk to your friend, your mom, your coworker? Does God, does he have a lot to say about our marriages and how we should treat each other as husband and wife? Does God tell us what he desires for us when we're married to a, an unbeliever? You bet he does. Look at verse 98 through 100. The word of God is our God. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. Verse 98. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Yeah, the... Have you ever heard this? Have you ever heard someone say, someone is wise beyond their years? You heard that? Yeah. We say that about folks, don't we? But his word, the word of God, makes us wise because we, as we study and we meditate on it, we internalize these truths. 
See, it's not just knowledge. Now, we learn a lot of knowledge. But what happens is we read these truths and we meditate on it, right? I meditate. Meditate is like, remember, the, the picture of the word picture is like a cow chewing its cud, right? It takes that big, big bite of grass or hay and it chews it, right? And it swallows it. And then what's it do in a little bit? What happens? comes back up, and what does it do? It chews on it some more. And that's the picture of meditating, right? So these truths, we, we, we hear these truths, and we think upon them. We ponder them, right? We mull over them, right? And then what happens is, is it goes from here, up here in our noggin, our, our mind, and, it, and it, it gets into our heart. And your heart, you say, well, what's the heart? What do you mean by that exactly? Well, the heart is our thinking and feeling organ of the body, so in the Bible, when it talks about heart, it's not a physical boom, 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 right? No, it's, it's that part of our being that feels and thinks, right? And so what happens is we meditate on his word. We ponder his word. It be, it be, it, we internalize it. It becomes a part of us. And so what happens, Blake, is God's thoughts over time as we meditate and study Meditate and study, meditate and study is his thoughts about something becomes our thoughts. His attitude towards someone becomes our attitude. Little by little as we meditate. And what happens is we become wise. What he hates, we slowly but surely began to hate. He guides us even to the point of helping us know how to think and how to feel. And you can describe this different ways. We talked about sanctification becoming more like Christ, right? And that's happening in our lives, right? But it happens as we meditate on truth. Look at Psalm 119, verse 105. Familiar verse, you memorize this one probably. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's commands, they're light for us, right? Lamp for the night, light for the day. His promises, they give us understanding. And sometimes I think we... We suppose that the Bible exists to give us real detailed instructions concerning things really specific like what job to take, who to marry, where we live, what type of fabric softener we should buy, right? Where we should go on vacation, da-da-da-da-da. This isn't really how the Word of God functions. It doesn't offer us these mystical leadings, right? We have freedom to make those decisions, right? But it unfolds the kind of character a Christian should have. And shows us the priorities that should govern our thinking. And only the Bible does this. Nothing in the the world gives us the same illumination. And we need it, don't we? We need to yield to his authority. We need him to guide us through his word. Don't say God is silent. I just don't know what to do in this situation. Don't say that if your Bible's closed. 
And we don't start tomorrow, okay, all right, pastor, I'm taking up this Bible reading plan because I got a whole lot of things I need fixed and figured out. So I'm going to read, and tomorrow he's going to answer all my problems and get me on the right. It doesn't work like that either, does it? He's not a genie in a bottle, but he has given us his revealed word. And what do we have to do, Rick, is we have to open that word up over and over and over. And now we don't even have to open it up, right? Jim listens to it, right? Steve listens to it. Kevin, driving his big old 18-wheeler going down the road, he listens to the Word of God, right? Yeah. But don't say, well, I read, man, I just don't know what to do about this situation. If you spent the last six months negligent of his Word, yeah, we need to read his, his Word. It's, it's, it's our authority. We should yield to it. We should admit to it. We should obey it. And it is our God. And lastly, the Word of God is our delight. When we think of law, what do you think of? The law. Negative connotation for many of us, right? Speed laws, right? Tax laws. Think about taxes. I, I don't know how people are accountants, right? Makes me nauseous just thinking about it. Sometimes law gives us a, has a negative Connotation. And, and the attitude, as you read through Psalm 119, this psalmist's attitude towards the law of God. Now, now remember, the law, there's, there's, it means, yeah, the Ten Commandments, but it's also his promises, right? His precepts, statutes, commandments, all of those. It's the will of God. He has this incredible attitude towards the will of God, and it's baffling to many. He's Talking about the joy and the delight, this spiritual exhilaration when he reads and meditates on the Scripture. And sometimes you're going, man, who is this guy? Right? It's the, his affections are foreign to us. But, but he's not so different than you and I. Verse 176, look at the last verse in the, in the psalm. Because you read this and you're like, man, I wish I could, I wish I just ate, just want to eat it up like him. Right? Psalm 176, he says this, he's confession, I believe, and it's good for us. Actually, it says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. How many of you can relate to that? Yeah, that's right. Oh, wow, he is human, right? Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. So he's not saying, I love your word, I got it all figured out. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, I'm just like you. Like he's saying, he's just like you, just like me, Jerry, he's just like you. I'm, I'm so thankful. This verse is here. But he does have this love for the, for the promises of God, for the will of God. And why? Because the psalmist knew that God's, his commandments are for our good. God is for us. He delights in this word, in the law, in the promise of God, because this law changes hearts, and it's changed the psalmist's heart. And it causes him to love God more and to hate sin more. And that's what it does for us as well. One pastor said, Only when God's ways are sweet to the taste will sin turn sour in our souls. Let me say that again. Only when God's ways are sweet to the taste will sin turn sour in our souls. God's word is our authority. We should yield to it. We should submit ourselves to it. It's our God. It instructs us how we should live our lives, Heidi. 
And it's our delight. It's our delight. Application, and as we're doing this psalm series, how we're doing application, and we do this repetitively just to help you. And part of, I think, my job as a pastor is to teach in such a way that helps you learn how to study the Bible for yourself. And so application-wise, um, we don't have the, Missy had to, had to um, do children's church, but we don't have that up there. But let me, let me, question one, by way of application, how does this psalm inform our minds? What effect does this psalm have on how we think about God and ourselves? Or firstly, God has revealed himself to us. God has revealed himself to us. There's no God like him. I mean, think about the, the, the gods of the people around this psalmist. He's around pagans, right? Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, all these other pagan peoples who didn't love God. And they, their God didn't reveal himself, didn't reveal his will to the people. But here, in the word of God, we have the creator God has revealed his will to us. And that's awesome. And secondly, the, the psalmist has no illusions about his own ability to understand God's word apart from the illumination of God. 169. Verse 169. Let, me, let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your words. What he's saying? I need your help to understand this. Yeah, we need, we need help in understanding the Word of God. That's the Spirit's job, isn't it? To illuminate the Word of God. So we understand it. We know how to apply it to our lives. Second question, how does this psalm stir our hearts? Well, I mean, do you delight in the Word of God? I want you to read this psalm this week. Read it several times. Man, just loves the Word of God. Do you love the Word of God? Is it your delight? Verse 143, trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Verse 72, he says, it's better than gold. And he read that quote by Bunyan. Verse 103, it's sweeter than honey on my tongue. Yeah, the word of God. Is it the word of God? Is it your delight? And the third question is, how can this psalm rightly applied transform our actions and habits? How's this transform our lives? Well, I, I think if, our, if, if we don't delight in the Word of God, what's God's thoughts concerning His Word? You think God was delighted in it? I think so. If we don't delight in it, I think our hearts and our attitude towards His Word is not God's attitude toward His Word. And that's sin. So we need to repent and ask God, Help me delight in your word. I don't delight in your word. I don't love it. I don't look for opportunities to read it. Help me repent. Help me have a a desire for it. And then secondly, ask for enlightenment, right? Verse 18, you've memorized that verse. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Yeah, we need to ask for that. Lord, open my eyes as I can see wonderful things in your law. And, and lastly, 
just by way of application, we just, we just have to read it. We have to read it. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm an employee. Every day I do things I don't want to do. Being a believer, you're going to do things you don't want to do. You don't always feel like it. Sometimes you will. You'll delight in it. Sometimes you won't. Sometimes we have to do things we don't want to do. And one of those things is, as we're asking God, help me delight. Tomorrow, you need His authority in your life, over your life. You need Him to guide you. You need to delight in Him and His Word. So read it. Read it and read it. That's our application for today. We're going to transition. It's first Sunday. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. If you're here and you're a believer, you've repented and you've trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit that's guaranteed your inheritance. If you've been baptized, we will encourage you to take the Lord's Supper with us. I saw a friend um, this week. I haven't seen him in 20 years. Guy, you know, new growing up and friend of mine. I hadn't seen him in 20 years. I said, man, I hadn't seen you in probably 15 years. He goes, 15? About 20? I said, yeah, maybe you're right. But I got to thinking about his life and remembering about our lives together and the experiences we had. And, you know, as I reminisced, I, I, I would smile. You know, I just kind of laugh some of the things that happened to us and some of the things we did and the experience that we had. And that was kind of funny. But then, it was, it was also bittersweet, Luana, because some of the things I thought about weren't so pleasant. They weren't so, weren't so good. But it was good. I got kind of reacquainted with this, this buddy. And it, the word remember, you know, as I'm reminiscing, I'm remembering about this buddy of mine that I saw and all the things we experienced together. I thought about the word remember in the Bible. We see them over and over again as God is constantly telling the Israelites, his people, right, in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, the Israelites, remember the promises I gave you, right? Remember the promise I gave to your father Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Remember, remember how I brought you out of Egypt. He says that over and over and over. Remember the Passover. Remember it every year as a feast. Remember how I fed you when you were hungry in the, on that pilgrimage towards the promised land. I fed you manna from heaven. Remember how I gave you rock when you were thirst, gave you water from a rock when you were thirsty. Remember, God says, I'm a jealous God. Remember have no other gods before me. So we see this word remember. And the problem with the Israelites is what was their problem? They didn't remember enough, did they? But God in his infinite wisdom has providentially given us this ordinance, the Lord's Supper, to help us remember what God has done for us. And it's bittersweet, isn't it? Because today as we, Jeff, as we remember, as we take this supper, no one does it like this, do we? No. We take it reverently and with humility. Why? 
because we know we don't deserve it. We know that we've rebelled against the Lord. We've shaken our fist in his face umpteen times. Rejected his authority in our life time and time and time again, right? We recognize that Jesus died the righteous for the unrighteous. He died, and he shouldn't have. And my sin and my rebellion was why he bore the cross and suffered the wrath of God, the Father. And so it's, it's and then, then we think about this week, right, my, my, myself included here, of how we've lived our lives and haven't lived worthy of the gospel. And so it's, it's bittersweet because we come humbly, right? Yeah. We remember being broken over our sin, that godly sorrow that led us to repentance, that godly sorrow, that brokenness. That, yeah, we remember that today. But it's also sweet in, in that we say, wow, God, your love is infinite. Your grace is wonderful. It's amazing. And because of what Christ has done for me, I stand not proud, right? We stand free and forgiven. We have joy, right? Yeah, because of what Christ has done for us. Not because of us, but because of what Christ has done for us. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.